So Romans chapter 10, verse 11 to 21. If you've got your Bible, it'd be great if you would uh, follow along. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to, to a disobedient and contrary people. Wonderful. If you've got your Bibles there and you want to pop them back open to Romans chapter 10. you're anything like me over the month of uh, December, you're going to find your uh, inbox, your email inbox, filling up with emails like this. Your order has been received. <laughs> your order has been dispatched. Your order is out for delivery. <laughs> your order is arriving today. Your order has been delivered. Maybe, maybe you don't do online shopping. I can remember the first time I did online shopping. I think I bought a mobile phone. Uh, it was a f some kind of flip phone. It had a screen on both sides, you know, the height of technology about 15 years ago. And uh, I remember the, the, the speed. I think I ordered it one day and it came the day after. But all these emails came into the inbox telling me where I was up to uh, in the great sequence of delivering parcels. And there's a, there's a kind of logic to the sequence, isn't there? <laughs> Until the order is received, it can't be dispatched. Until it's dispatched, it can't be delivered. And until it's delivered, it can't be received. There's a, there's a logic uh, to the order. Why are we thinking about online shopping and next day delivery? It might not surprise you, but in Romans, Paul has no interest in the convenience of online shopping. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> But he does have a lot of interest in the logical sequence of a delivery, not the delivery of a parcel to your door, but the delivery of the gospel, the delivery of salvation and how it comes to a person and all the links in the chain. 
We're going through this great letter to the Romans, and we're going to uh, just continue going through this letter to the Romans. We'll, we'll break over uh, Christmas and look at something more of a Christmas theme, but then we'll pick up in Romans in January. And this is a great letter, and it's all about salvation. I'm going to repeat again the big theme verse so we don't forget it. But Paul says there, back in chapter 1, that he's not ashamed of the gospel, He's not ashamed of the good news about Jesus. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. That's Paul's kind of thesis statement right there at the start in chapter one. It's about the gospel and the power of the gospel to save all who believe. And he's unpacked that gospel in that salvation in the most exalted terms, hasn't he? What have we seen as we've gone through the letters of the Romans of what this salvation entails? This salvation is is not a small thing. (laughs) This salvation means deliverance from sin. Remember, sin was pictured as a, a cruel slave master that oppresses us, that rules us, that dominates us, and that leads to death. This salvation means that we are justified in God's sight. We're counted righteous, perfect. The wrath of God is turned away from us. We are at peace with God. This salvation is nothing less than the entrance into a a whole new humanity. This salvation means we, we exit life in Adam. With all of its consequences and we begin again new life in Christ it means entrance into the family of God we are adopted made his children forever brothers and sisters it means that as we live in this world and as we get older and as we face the grave we know that because we're saved there's a resurrection coming a real resurrection, a bodily resurrection, and we will live forever glorified. That's what this salvation means. It's a glorious salvation. So this question of how salvation comes to a person is not a small question. It's a massively important question. And we're going to think about two questions as we look at these verses together this morning. And the first is, how is anybody saved? How is anybody saved? Remember where we left off, Paul had written that everybody who calls on the name of the Lord, that's the Lord Jesus, will be saved. That verse is is wide in its scope, isn't it? Anybody, everybody, all who call on Jesus. And it's sure in its promise, they, they will be saved. There's no uncertainty about it. Everyone who calls on Jesus will be saved. As we look down at verse 14 and 15, we can see that calling on the name of the Lord Jesus is the very end of a sequence of events. It's like the parcel being delivered. And there's other things that need to happen before that. And so we're just going to take some time to follow that logic. So look at verse 14. How can they or how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? That makes sense, doesn't it? (laughs) Who's going to call on 
on the Lord Jesus unless they believe in him, unless they, they, they have confidence in him, unless they see that they, they need a savior, that in the face of uh, their biggest problems, sin and death and the wrath of God, in the face of those huge problems, unless we know that we can do nothing and we need a savior, and unless we know that Jesus is that savior and we have confidence in him, we're not going to call on him. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How can you have confidence in someone that you know nothing about and you've, you, you've never heard of them? <laughs> I would say to you this morning, trust Bernard. You look at me and say, who's Bernard? Tell me a little bit about Bernard and why I should trust him. It's the same with Jesus. Unless people have, have not heard about Jesus and why he's to be trusted, they will never believe on him. They need to know what his sacrificial death has achieved. They need to know about his resurrection, about his rule, about his perfect life, these facts of history and what they all mean. And then the chain of events goes on. How will they hear without someone preaching? And the logic is really obvious, isn't it? <laughs> How can you hear if no one's speaking? There's no preacher. How will anyone hear and believe and call? See, words, words about Jesus are essential in this chain of salvation. That's the way God has ordained it. God can do what he pleases, but he has chosen to save people through this message, through these words, this gospel about Jesus. And unless that message is proclaimed, how will people hear? And that's why, right at the start, back in chapter one, Paul said, I am eager. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am eager to preach the gospel because it's God's power to save. You've heard this saying, haven't you? Uh, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. You understand the sentiment behind that. The sentiment is that our lives should be an expression of the gospel. People should look at us as a church, and they should see evidence of the gospel, real tangible evidence. But also, that statement is misleading. If we never speak words, no one will hear the gospel. And then finally, how are they to preach unless they are sent? The herald at the palace doesn't declare any messages, doesn't make any public proclamation unless the herald is sent by the king. And only then does he go as an authorized messenger. How are they to preach unless they are sent? Paul and the other apostles, they are the sent ones. That's what... That's what apostle means, those who are sent. They are the authorized messengers. And as they spread the message, the church grew, and then the church sent out further preachers to preach the good news. That is something that every church must look to do, to recognize and equip and send out preachers of the gospel, because that is essential. Paul says that's the first link in the chain. 
How is anybody saved? How? How is anyone saved? Well, preachers are sent. And those preachers preach. And people hear. And then people believe. And then people call out to Jesus. And then people are saved. Wonderfully clear logic, isn't it? It's watertight. And there are lots of applications that we could make this morning, just out of verses 14 and 15. I just want us to think about applications of those two verses in in three different areas. And the first is in, in, in a very personal way, a personal and individual way. And the question is, where are you in that chain of events? Where are you in that? chain of events see when those emails drop into my inbox i know exactly what's going on with my parcel okay it's been dispatched okay it's it's been delivered where are you not not where's the person sitting next to you <laughs> not where's your mom or your dad not where's your son or your dad but where where are you in that chain have you heard the message of jesus Have you believed the message of Jesus? Have you called out for salvation? I suspect for lots of us this morning, we we know that we are at the end of the chain. (laughs) We have called out for salvation. And as you look back on your journey, you can see it in terms of these links in the chain. There's a time when maybe you hadn't heard about Jesus and then the Lord in his mercy brought people alongside you so that you could hear the good news about Jesus might have been a parent, a mum and dad who faithfully taught you who Jesus is and what he's done. Parents, particularly fathers, there's nothing more loving that you can do for your children than to tell them often and regularly about the Lord Jesus. Maybe it wasn't a, maybe it wasn't a parent, maybe it was a, uh, a pastor, a preacher, week by week, showed you something of the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. Maybe as a friend, someone at work who the Lord brought along, along your path. And they opened their Bible with you and slowly but surely you came to believe in Jesus. For all of us, we know that there was a point when, when simple words about Jesus became something more than that. They became the Saviour's own passionate and personal plea to us to come and find life. Verse 14 is is an interesting verse. It says there in the ESV, And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? I'm told a more literal translation would be, How shall they believe in him whom they have never heard? Not of whom they have never heard, but whom they have never heard. Not just words about Jesus, but Jesus himself Speaking, that's what people need to hear. Remember Paul when he writes to the Corinthians, he says that we are, we are Christ's ambassadors and Christ himself is making his appeal through us, be reconciled to God. When the gospel is preached, it's Christ himself calling people to come. And for those who are Christians, who is that 
That time when suddenly beyond the words, beyond the person who was sharing with us, beyond the preacher at the front, we began to hear another voice and it was the voice of the Lord Jesus calling us to come. Showing us our need, showing us how he can meet our need and bringing us to faith until at last we call upon him and we are saved. If you're a Christian this morning, maybe this afternoon, just spend some time reflecting back through the lens of these verses on your own life and seeing how God has been at work to bring you to rescue. Rejoice at how patient God has been. I think it would be a foolish thing for any preacher to stand at the front of any congregation and presume that everyone is saved. That everyone's heard and believed and called out for rescue. And maybe you haven't. So have you heard have you heard about Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the son of God, that he died for your sins and rose again? And are they not just facts of history to you, but but do you see that he died for you to rescue you? So that's the first application personally. We can also apply these verses kind of corporately to us as a, a body of believers, as a church here at Cape and Ray. I think these verses bring a real focus, don't they? (laughs) There's an urgency to them. All these how questions. How will they hear without the preacher? How will they preach without being sent? See, there are many good things that we could do as a church, aren't there? Many admirable things that we could give our time and our resources to. top of the list number one priority has to be the message of Jesus surely that's true isn't it like these verses the proclamation of the gospel has to be number one priority we live in a an image saturation saturated world don't we all sorts of pictures and images accost us all day long. Yet we're reminded here that the gospel is by nature a wordy thing. It's not to do with image, it's a, it's a, it's a wordy thing. It's, it's words of truth to be shared. And in an image-saturated world, and in a world where attention spans are ever-reducing, <laughs> it seems strange that as a church we should give ourselves to the proclamation of the gospel. It's preaching. Preaching has always appeared foolish, preaching of the gospel, and yet it's essential. Here's Paul's summary of the first half of the passage. He says, we looked at it with the children. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So saving faith is birthed, it begins, and it's sustained through the message of the gospel. We want, as a church, don't we, to be strong in faith. 
We certainly do. And so this is why when we meet together on a Sunday morning, we sing the word about Jesus. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath the flood, lose all their guilty stains. We sing the message. We, we pray the message. We, we preach the message. That's why we, we do this. We look carefully at God's word to hear what he's saying. We even eat and drink the message. That's what we've done this morning. Because that's how faith is birthed and faith is sustained. And a church that loses focus on the message of Jesus is a church that eventually becomes faithless. I've been going to church long enough now to see a, a pattern that occurs every now and again. Someone in church begins to come to church less often. And slowly over time, they begin to mix with fellow Christians. And then the months and years take, and maybe they come at Easter, and maybe they come at Christmas. And then after a while, they never join with God's people. And faith evaporates. Don't get me wrong, coming to church doesn't save anyone. But what we do here on a Sunday morning, we focus on the word so that our faith may grow, so that we may run the race well all the way to the end. And faith comes through hearing, hearing the word about Christ. So that's an application to us corporately as a church. And then I think there's an even bigger application than that, and that is globally for the world. We live in a broken world, don't we, with all sorts of groanings and creakings and pains and sorrows, all sorts of problems. From the great big problems, the wars and the famines and the pandemics, to the problems that are close to home, affect our communities, broken relationships and different needs. But we're reminded through these verses this morning that the greatest need that people have is to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's people's greatest need, and we mustn't lose sight of that. We live in a, a secular society that increasingly wants to squeeze any kind of religious belief into the realm of the private life. <laughs> Religion is, is, is private. It's not for the public square. Keep it out of the public square. Trying to convince someone that their beliefs are not right and that you have the truth. Well, that's bigoted, people say. That's arrogant. If we hear that sentiment enough, we begin to believe and it infects our thinking. I remember in the news there was that uh, missionary uh, about five years ago, a man called John Allen Cho. And he decided uh, that he was going to try and make contact with a a, a, a tribe, a very remote tribe on an island off the coast of India. And there was all sorts of people saying he shouldn't do this for all sorts of reasons. He continued to do it. He made two or three contacts and then this, this tribe uh, killed him. There was all sorts of comments in the secular news 
and in the Christian press about this, about whether these were the right methods that he should have used. Beyond the method, it was really sad that, that I read that, that parts of the church were saying this is just something as a church we should not be doing. <laughs> this is imperialism. This is arrogant that we, we should try and thrust these beliefs on someone else. And yet Paul says, quoting from Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. <laughs> it is a beautiful thing to share the message of Jesus with someone who has never heard. I find these verses really challenging. Let me read to you uh, from Isaiah, the, the full verse. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. It's a beautiful thing to share the good news about Jesus. Remember the words of our Lord when he looked out on uh, the people coming out to see him and he said, the, the fields are white to harvest, but the laborers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest thrust out laborers into the harvest field. Truly, as we see the need in the world, our first response should be to pray. To pray that God would raise up preachers, people to proclaim the gospel publicly, and persuasively. Surely as a church, we should look to see what our part in that is, in supporting and in sending. How are people saved? How is anybody saved? They're saved because preachers are sent, because those preachers preach. Because people then hear, believe, and call on the name of of Jesus. Before we move on to our next question, and it's a shorter one, I just want to point out something else from these verses. This chain of salvation here is, is the events as they unfold from a human perspective. So it's, a, it's a very time-bound chain that puts the responsibility very much on us, doesn't it? It puts weight and responsibility on human activity, on preaching, on hearing, on believing, and on calling. But we've seen, haven't we, there's another perspective on salvation. Not our, our human's perspective, but God's perspective. And we've already covered a, a chain of events from God's perspectives as it relates to salvation. So just, if you've got your Bibles, look back to the end of chapter 8. Here's salvation as it looks from God's perspective. Events from eternity past right through to eternity future. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called and those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Before knowledge of God, before the foundation of the world. His choice. His irresistible call. His justifying work. His glorifying work. That's another glorious chain, isn't it? And the point I want to make is that it's not either or. <laughs> 
It's not either the chain in chapter 8 or the chain in chapter 10. It's both and. It's both and. And if all we focus on is the chain in chapter 10, we'll be crushed under a weight of responsibility that we cannot bear. (laughs) This preacher would be. But we need the chain of chapter 10, don't we? Because it presses us into action. It tells us that the need is urgent. It keeps us from silent inactivity. So that's how are people saved. What about the second question? This is what about Israel? What about Israel? Remember, that's Paul's big concern in chapter 9 and chapter 10 and chapter 11. What about Israel? He said the, the gospel is the power of God to save. He said that it's for the Jew first and then for the Gentile. And everywhere Paul goes, the first place he goes is into the synagogue to preach to his fellow Jews. But by and large, they have rejected the message about Jesus. A few weeks ago, I ordered a, a parcel. So we're back on the parcel theme. <laughs> I ordered a parcel. And it's one of these that didn't get delivered to the door. It got delivered to a, a collection point. The, the shop in Holton Village was the closest I could get delivered. And so I went to the shop in Holton Village and the man behind the counter looked at me apologetically as he, he tried to give me this parcel. And as he gave me the parcel, he turned it round and the whole end of the parcel had been ripped open and all the contents had been removed. <laughs> and so all, all there was there was just a cardboard box and he was trying to hand me this cardboard box. And so I said, oh, there's nothing, nothing in it. And he was like, I don't know what's happened. <laughs> Somewhere between the kind of dispatch warehouse and arriving at Halton shop someone had decided to take the contents out what I wanted them to do was just kind of look at the chain and see where things have broken down and so that's what Paul begins to do here with the nation of Israel begins to look at the chain and see where the problem is okay this gospel this, we've got this gospel and we've got the nation of Israel where's the where's the weak link So he says there in verse 18, but I ask, have they not heard? And that they is, I think, particularly Israel. Has Israel not heard? And then he says, indeed they have, for their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. It's a quote from Psalm 19. It's it's talking about the, the way that the heavens declare the glory of God. And when you look up at the night sky, you know that God is he's powerful and glorious. And that message goes out through all the world. And if in the general revelation of his own character in creation, God has made it global, how much more will he ensure that in his special revelation in Jesus Christ, that also will be global? Have they not heard? Yes, they have heard. Or perhaps Paul then asks, maybe they didn't understand. Maybe the message was too complicated says, verse 19, but I asked, did Israel not understand? He answers with two quotes from Isaiah. Two quotes, first one from Moses and then from Isaiah. So verse 19, first Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. And with a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. What are those two quotes saying? Well, Paul is asking the question, did they not understand? I think those quotes are saying that the message is not hard to understand. 
even, even by a foolish nation, was the Lord found. The Lord was found even by those who weren't looking for him. He showed himself even to those who weren't asking for him. The message isn't hard to understand. So where's the weak link? What's the, what's the problem? Well, verse 21 tells us. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. A disobedient and contrary people. That's true of Israel. It's also true of every human heart by nature. Here's where the problem lies. If anyone is lost, it's because they will not come to Jesus. They will not trust him. They will not submit to him. Paul uses this phrase, doesn't he? It's a strange phrase. They, he says in verse 16 that not all obey the gospel. Not all obey the gospel. The gospel calls us to come and kneel in submission before Jesus because he is king. The gospel calls us to lay down our sword and our self-will and to submit to him. And the Lord is patient, isn't he? Look at his posture. Look at his posture. All day long I have held out my hands. He's so patient. Sung about those hands, didn't we? Earlier, royal arms unfurled, nail-pierced hands. Open, calling people to come. Disobedient people. I'm going to think more about Israel next week when we get into chapter 11. I want to ask again, are all the connections in place for you, all the connections in place for you. God has sent people across your path, preachers, friends. Maybe you've found yourself surrounded in an unusual way by lots of Christian people who are speaking to you about Jesus. And yet still you're not yet a Christian. <laughs> Where's the problem? The problem is that he is holding out his hands all day long to you. Calling you to come. Calling you to trust. Calling you to receive him. And yet you maybe have countless reasons why you're resisting. Countless reasons why you won't come. Never done it before. I'm not good enough couldn't possibly change. I couldn't keep it up. Maybe you think of all those things that you know would have to change if you came to Jesus. Maybe it's the very fact that you want to be the one who calls the shots. That's what's keeping you from Jesus. And there he stands, hands held open, calling you to come. Will you not turn to him? Will you not trust him and obey him? It's a delight, isn't it, when a new baby is born? It's even more of a delight when a new Christian is born. <laughs> and someone comes to Jesus. 
Wouldn't it be great if even this morning, through the preaching of Romans 10, someone came to Christ? Let's pray together. Dear Father, we thank you so much that you are God of patience and grace. Lord, we thank you that you call us to come. We thank you that you have sent your gospel out into the world. We pray for us as a church, Lord, that you would help us to see our responsibility. Help us as individuals to see the responsibility that we have. Forgive us, Father, when we're quiet, when we should speak. Help us, we pray. Show us again how beautiful it is to preach and to share the gospel. Lord, we pray as we go on from here that you would continue to speak to us, continue to shape the way we think and the way we desire. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.